If you have your Bibles, would you turn to James chapter 4? James chapter 4 this morning as we continue our marriage and relationship series. If you're brand new, my name is Dave Berenger, I'm the pastor of K-First, and I'm just stoked that all of you have joined us. And uh, I heard it last week, and I believe, I'm not going to hear it again this week, because I pastor. The marriage series isn't just about marriages. It's about all relationships. I'm like, ding, 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 absolutely. Uh, we take this month, though, the month of June, to pour into marriages and relationships and friendships. And, man, we had such a great ending. If you missed last week, I, I've done a lot of swimming illustrations in my tenure here. The most popular one was the goat that peed all over the platform. That was the most popular one. Um, I have pulled chainsaws out, I've had a car parked up here, I've done all sorts of things. Uh, and someone told me, you'll never top last week when we married a couple at the end of service. I'm like, well, maybe we'll do a funeral at the end of service someday. And my wife's like, no, well, don't count that out, we'll see. We'll kind of wait it out here. Wait it out, not like I'm waiting for anybody, by the way. That's not, not the issue there. I, I'm not wearing a tie. No, I felt, I felt restricted. Strangling the Spirit of God out of my life. Goodness gracious. James chapter 4 is what we're going to dive into. And I love talking about relationships, love talking about marriage, um, love just having good conversations about healthy relationships. Uh, the reality is that statistics say that most people will get married at some point in their life. And I'm just tired of the enemy devouring marriages left and right in the church saying nothing about healthy relationships whatsoever. And so I love having these moments to kind of pour into marriages. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? <laughs> James 1, excuse me, James 4, verse 1. Not 1, verse 4. That's a different message for the fall. What causes quarrels among you, or causes fights among you, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and you and, uh, do not have, so you murder. You covet and not obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. We're going to do a hard stop right there. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and we just say, Lord, search our hearts and know us. Try our hearts, try everything within us, God, and ask that you would shape what you need to shape, mold what you need to mold, remove what you need to remove, take what you need to take, fortify what you need to fortify, that our lives, our individual lives, our married lives, that every part of us would just show the glory of the restorative Son of God, the one who brings all things together, who makes all things brand new. Do a magnificent work in and through our lives today. And Lord, I'm just going to say thank you for sending the rain in this room and sending the rain outside of this room, Lord. To you, your honor and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Give someone an awkward high five before you're seated. It's always the funniest part of the service, <laughs> trying to give high fives. A married couple had a fight and ended up giving themselves the silent treatment. Anybody besides me, you're phenomenal at the silent treatment? Anybody? A few people admitting? Yeah, y'all get it. Two days into their silent war, the man realized that he needed his wife's help in order to catch a flight to Chicago for a business meeting. He had to be up no later than 5 a.m. sharp. So not wanting to be the first one to break the silence, y'all get that, don't you? Not wanting to be the first one to break the silence, 
He wrote on a piece of, on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 a.m. and put that on her nightstand. The next morning, he woke up only to discover that his wife has already been out of bed and it was 9 a.m., and he went to demand an answer when he noticed a piece of paper on his nightstand saying, it's 5 a.m., wake up. I love talking about conflict, because conflict is true of any relationship, any friendship. Um, I, I think of all the friends I've had in my life, and not a single one of them were, were without conflict. There's always going to be conflict. I mean, my best friend in high school went to my rival high school. It's like I went to Michigan, he went to Ohio State. That's the type of rivalry that we had. Um, so outside of that, and we had such a fantastic friendship... But what I hear from couples a lot, and I've heard this from numbers of people, but if there's conflict, that means that we're probably in a bad place. For which any of us that have been married 25 years and longer, when people say that to us, uh, we smile and we're like, oh, no, 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 no. That, it, this is normal. It's normal to have conflict. In fact, I would say it this way. Conflict in marriage specifically is inevitable. And we have to learn to, how to embrace it instead of running from it. Conflict, it's just inevitable. When you get the opposite sexes coming together and they're getting married, and many times they come from opposite ends of life. You know, I came from, I don't know, a, a suburban life. My wife came from the Amish life, and we came back together. Well, she was very conservative. I, I like to paint her in a picture like she was churning butter, and that's where I met her, and that's just not the case. The rumors do get out, by the way. They're quite funny. But we... we Opposite ends come together, we get married, and conflict is just a normal thing. Have you ever met a couple that have ever boasted and said, we've been married for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we have never fought? Have you ever met a couple like that? Let me reword that. Have you ever met liars? And they'll say, they'll say well, we, we, okay, we may have disagreed, but we've never fought. I'm like, in your brain, you ever want to fight them? for saying that? Just me? I'm like, there's no way you've been married for any length of time and not had conflict. This, see, I, when you think about all relationships, it's just what we all go through. In fact, I'll say it this way. The cost of admission to grow in any relationship is tension. The cost to advance, to grow a relationship, to grow a, a friendship, the cost is tension. There's going to be conflict. I've had people say, Pastor, if we can just get through this challenge in our marriage, if we can just get through this challenge in our friendship, and this is my, my reply, and I'm not maybe the most hope-filled pastor, but I believe I am, but I'm like, you know what? You know what your reward for overcoming a challenge in your marriage is? The next challenge. Like, that's just what it is. To overcome tensions, you have the next tension because that's how you grow things. You grow things with tension. Nobody goes to the gym and picks up a weight that's easy to pick up. Man, feel this one pounder, man, I'm going to get jacked. And you're going to walk away and you feel like you, you, you'll say you had a good workout, but the point of being done with the workout is actually being tired. You have worked something. The tension has helped develop strength. But for some reason, we get into marriages and relationships and we avoid tension. And the problem is, is when you avoid tension, you avoid growth. And when you avoid growth, you avoid fruit. And so... When it comes to everything we do, especially our relationship with Jesus, you're going to have tension. I don't know if you knew that. If you serve Jesus, you're going to face tension. What's the tension? Jesus will come into your life and he will confront your flesh immediately. 
I'm so sick and tired of the progressive Christian mindset that says that everyone's got to accept you the way that you are because you don't have to change. You're good the way you are. The reason why we have the cross and the resurrection is because we were not good the way that we were. We were not good the way that we were. And Jesus loves us too much to leave us the same way he found us. Now, let's correct something. We used to sing the song back in the 80s, I Just Found Jesus. I'm here to say, you couldn't even find your car keys this morning. You don't find Jesus. He finds you. And he rescues you. But he confronts you. So even when we're serving Jesus, we have tensions with Jesus. Anybody besides me have tensions with Jesus? Well, i got a handful of people that will be truthful with the pastor this morning. The times he tells me to talk a different way or act a certain way or to give up my unforgiveness or to help deal with my heart on, a certain, th- on certain things. He deals with us and he confronts us. So spiritual shifts happen in our relationships when we transition. Now here it is. When we transition from fighting with to fighting for. Transitions happen in your friendships, in your marriage, in any relationship. Transition happens when you stop fighting with and you start fighting for so every every so often i will look up to get some updated stats because i deal with lots of marriage stuff and i and i will look up what are the top topics that couples fight about the most and i found the top 10 topics here are the 10 number one tone of voice or attitude how many of you have had marriage moments blow up just because of somebody's i had people already lifting their hands that was that was your drive to church this morning wasn't it Tone of voice, money, communication styles, household chores. Seeing if there's an amen there. Relationships with immediate or extended family. How many of you love your in-laws? You better raise your hand. All right, check. Uh, Life decisions, health or lifestyle decisions, how you argue, sex. Uh, now, Now, look at this list. Sex is below arguing about how to argue. I mean, now, maybe I'm celebrating because sex and money used to be the top two, and they're always tied for one and two. So maybe in marriage, our, our, our sexuality has gotten much healthier. It's gotten much better. And I will celebrate that, but I'm, I'm like, okay, I think sex is pretty important. But all of a sudden, I'm finding out we are arguing about how we argue more than we're actually arguing or making up and talking about sexuality. It kind of blew my mind a little bit. John Gottman of the Gottman Institute, he says, the number one thing the couples fight about is nothing. Think about it. How many of you fought about something to realize the two of you aren't even talking about the same thing? Some of you have had silent treatments over nothing. Right there, we got one of them on your way to church. And what happens is this, is when you don't have a plan on fighting or a plan on how to fight, I, I love, I teach all my premarital counseling appointments how to fight well. And we teach them how to fight so that there's dessert at the end. And if you don't know what that means, you need to sign up for some marriage counseling and I'll teach you how to do it. (laughs) But when you fight without a plan, what ends up happening is you're fighting in your conflict. It sours your spirit. The pellet of your heart is so soured and now you avoid conflict because you know how it ends. It ends in a sour or or a, a distasteful way. And your fighting is now avoided. And when you avoid the tension, you avoid growth. And when you avoid growth, you avoid the fruit that should happening, be happening in your marriage. And that's what brings us to James. Because conflicts won't ruin your marriage. 
not knowing how to deal with it will. And that's why James talks to us about conflict. That's why James, which I, James to me is one of the most, if not the most, one number one most practical book of the Bible. We're going to do a series in November and December out of the book of James. I cannot, I love the book of James. And he says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights? In the original Greek, it says, what causes warfare? And what causes combat, like skirmishes amongst you? Look at that. What is the thing that's breaking you apart? And then he says this. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, we're going to pause right there, and we're going to recognize two words that he utilizes that are very important. So if you've got your paper Bible, circle the words you and your, because oftentimes we get into fights with friends, we get in fights with our spouses, and you know who we want to blame is we want to blame them. And James says, you got to get your eyes off of other people. Because some of y'all, you're praying for the combat in your marriage, but the way you're praying is this, Lord, if you would just save and change my spouse, everything will be okay. If you can get them to see my way, everything's going to be okay. And James hits him between the eyes and says, listen, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Get your eyes off your boo, get your eyes on yourself, and focus on what you need to change. This is what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, stop picking out the sliver in somebody's eye when you've got a plank inside your own eye. Psalms 139, search my heart, O God. James is following along the flow of scripture that says, before we expect change in other people, you need to expect it in yourself. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Some of you have never thought about murdering your spouse, some of you might have. It's the age-old uh, line from uh, Billy Graham's wife. Have you ever thought about divorcing Billy? She says, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> but she, he says, you desire, so you do not have, so you kill. You covet, and you do not obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. Why many times do we not ask God about these situations? Because we already know from the get-go that God would actually confront us with us. Why don't we ask God? Because we already know what God's going to say. My greatest mentor in my life is Joel Stocker. Outside of my father, Joel Stocker is my greatest mentor. And I remember I had a problem two years ago. And I called him up. He's like, Dave, why don't you call me? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, that's a lie. You already knew what I was going to say. I'm like, yeah. I'm like a little child. Okay. Verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, what's wrong is within you. Your motives are wrong and you spend it praying about the things that make you happy. And he says, this is the source of your turmoil. I'm not saying that your spouse isn't wrong. I'm not here to paint any spouse or any friendship in your life as people who are perfect, that there's nothing wrong with them. But I'm afraid that we've spent so much time thinking about relational conflict, thinking about marital conflict, and we always think it's somebody else. And we have to take the step back to realize that it could be, it could be the fact that you are the source of some of that, that relational turmoil within your marriage or within your relationship. There's turmoil that's going on. And the turmoil comes from two specific things. You have unnamed needs that are going on, and then therefore, because they're unnamed, they're unmet. Well, pastor, I've communicated, and I, that may be true to an extent, but just, just because you said something in your marriage doesn't mean it was actually communicated well. 
just because she said something that you thought was clear out of your mouth to your friendship doesn't mean that your, that your friend heard it well. We carry unnamed and unmet desires and that begins to develop into unexplored things inside of us. And because people didn't meet those needs perfectly, we now have conflict that's going on. And we begin to fight between people because we have unnamed needs that developed into unmet desires that have developed into unexplored situations and then find, we find ourselves in conflict. And then we pray. And how do we pray? We pray from the wrong heart. Lord, I know I'm right. I'm always right, Lord, because you, your spirit is within me. So therefore, Lord, teach my spouse a lesson. Shape my spouse. Convict my spouse. And Lord, that my spouse would see you the way that I see you. In Jesus' name, amen. But we pray and we pray. But I'm going to offer you a different prayer this morning. And we're going to put it up on the screens. And it's a prayer that I hope would humble all of us to seek the face of God and simply say this, before we attack somebody else, Lord, heal what's going on in me. Because there seems to be an unnamed or an unmet desire in my life that ultimately only you can satisfy. Reveal it to me, help me to see what this is, and heal me. We are so after change in somebody else that we haven't stopped to even check our own hearts and say, Lord, heal me. Save me. Reveal things to me because some of us are placing demands upon our spouse that only God was ever meant to satisfy. Some of us, we want our spouses to complete us. Jesus is the only one that can complete us. And that's why when we, oftentimes when I marry somebody, I'll talk about the core of three strands, which is the husband, the wife, and God brought together. Because even by ourselves and together, the two become one. But that oneness can only be made fully complete with the Lord's help and so the truth is we have to learn how to fight well but the reality is is we fight but we don't often fight the same way now that's my little shock a lot of you especially if you are a regular attender i like sports i know blew your mind some of you're tweeting this i didn't realize pastor dave likes sports now, a sport that I will, if I get a chance to watch it, I don't, it's, not, it's not like football. I'll make my way to go watch it at any place, any time. I like a good UFC fight. I like a good UFC fight. And I remember watching a reality show about ultimate fighting, and I learned things about ultimate fighting that I've never learned before. And one of the things is, is that every fighter gets trained in a specific discipline. Kung fu, taekwondo, um, there's just numbers of, of styles that they will study and they will perfect so that when they get into the octagon that they can work out what they have, been, they have perfected. They have their own fighting styles. But they said that once they sign a contract to fight somebody else, not only will they have their own fighting style, but they will find out the fighting style of their opponent and study their fighting style so that they can actually have the best possible fight in combat. And the reality is, every single one of us have our own fighting styles. You may not realize this, you all have your own fighting styles. And so when we think about fighting with our spouse, many times we come at the situation the way that we want to combat it, and we wonder whether we're winning or losing, and the reality is, if you're not on the same page, you both lose. And when you're not working through combating things in the same way, you both lose. This is why when we get into the body of Christ and we talk about relationships, some of you are so addicted to offense, you're looking for things to be offended at, and when you do that, we all lose. 
And when you come to me about your offense with somebody else, and I send you with Matthew 18 to go to that person, then you get mad at me. It's like, I'm trying to teach you how to fight well, because when we combat well and we work through tensions, we together get built up in the body of Christ. And so I'm going to sum up three different fighting styles this morning. There's lots of different fighting styles. So I'm going to give you three different types, and I've given them fancy schmancy names for you to remember here. So some of you, you are lightning legs. What do we mean by lightning legs? That means that you keep moving to avoid conflict. You are half a Muhammad Ali. You are moving around, but you're not throwing any punches whatsoever. You use distraction and distance to avoid any type of disruption. I can tend to do that. I use humor as a, as a mechanism to try to distract in the moment. My, I, I think I got it from my aunt. My aunt Robin, whenever my, my, my grandmother would go to spank my aunt Robin, uh, my aunt Robin would just start trying to do all sorts of weird sounds and dances in the middle of this, getting my grandmother laughing so hard that she couldn't hit my, my aunt, and my aunt would walk away, which might explain a lot of things with my aunt. Nevertheless, but you use distraction and distance to avoid disruption. And you have such a fear of conflict that it actually keeps you from connecting. You will run from it. You've got the lightning legs, which you're, you're quick on your feet. When all of a sudden conflict shows up, you just keep moving. You avoid it. You walk away from it. You just, okay, and you move on. And it leads me, lead me toward the second group, and we'll call these the low blows. This, this is where you've got somebody that comes out swinging at the slightest, smallest thing. These are the people that use extreme language, volume, and gestures. Why? Because they fear that they're going to be wrong or they're going to be seen as out of control. So they use these feats of strength so they don't look humiliated. Welcome to the man that Ann Berenger married 25 years ago. Why? Because this is my family. Ask, ask Ann about my side of the family. We're loud, we're abrasive, uh, and the louder we get, the more white right we are. Is that how it's done? Why do we do that? Because we're, if we can get louder and more forceful, it gives us a sense of control when it's actually the opposite that's there. And leads me toward the third fighting style, lay down. This is where you give in and give up at the first sign of conflict. You use apologies and appeasement to avoid any type of disconnection. Oh, you know what? That's, that's probably my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you're just appeasing the moment. But you fear anger and power at anything being directed at you. And I will say this, after a couple years of marriage, I begin to recognize that I was a low-blow individual, that I was just kind of going for the jungular at any sign, because in my brain, I can't be wrong. And I'm the type of guy, this may shock you, I talk for a living, and I know how to use my words in such a way that I can sound right at any point at any time. And I was using that to win in my marriage until all of a sudden I think God just convicted my heart and I repented. But the problem is, is I went from low blow to lay down. Where at the, if, if the first sign of conflict, I'm sorry, I, I, th that was all me. And I, would, I just went to an opposite extreme because I just didn't want to disturb anything. I felt like I'd gone from one end that I should go to the other end. But we have to learn how to recognize not necessarily where our spouse is, but where we are as individuals. Now let me say this. Because I've had people say, well, my spouse is afraid of all conflict. Let me ask you this question. Is it because of you? Are your friends afraid of conflict around you? And is it because of you? Search our hearts, oh God. 
because some fights can be diffused by simply understanding your style and understanding your spouse's style and meeting them in a place between the two and learning how to search your hearts and working together. What type of framework do we need? We need a we-win framework. We talked a little bit about that last week. So this morning, I want to give you two very simple questions to help you with these quarrels. James talks about wars that are caused from quarrels, wars that started because of skirmishes. I want to help you with that by giving you the most simplistic framework that you can work any marriage, any friendship, any relationship. You can work through the conflict together. First of all, here's the question. Write this down. What do we want? What do we want? What do we want for this relationship? And when we talk about what do we want, what is the shared value that the two of us are going after? If it's a, if it's a friendship and you're finding out that a friendship is getting strained because of your season of life, this is where if you want the friendship, you sit down with, the, with that individual and say, what do we want? What is a shared value that both of us are looking for? What's our shared value? If this is a marriage situation, whatever you're having conflict about, sit down and ask, what do we want? What's our shared value that the both of you can agree on? What is the thing that you can lock in on? And that leads me toward number two, what are we willing to do? Whereas number one, we have a shared value. Number two, we have a shared commitment. Because the burden of the conflict, the burden of the relationship should never rest on one person. Let me say that again to marriages. Because often I get people sit in my office, well, Pastor Dave, this is more her issue or this is more his issue. And so we're, we're here for him, we're here for her. But anytime you abandon somebody in a marriage issue by themselves, you actually isolate them away from you. There, no marriage issue should be worked on with just one person. Husbands, wives work together. There's nothing that you should abandon your spouse in. Well, the conflict is about them. No, it's about you. Together. And the burden should rest on the both of you, where you both show up and you do what it takes to fight for the win. And we rarely get to this level because we never stop and ask, what is our shared value? What are we both going after? What is it that we truly want here? And when you get the shared value, then you get the shared commitment. And when you got shared commitment working together and the two people are acting as one, that's where you see tension develop into strength and strength develop into the fruit in your marriage. Let me give you an example. I'll give you an example from our marriage. Something that we have learned to value over the years is something that we call margin. If you ask Anne about things that we value highly, she will use one of two words. She'll either give you the word rest or she'll give the word margin. We highly value it. Why? Because I am a workaholic and I can easily work myself out of my schedule, out of, my, out of the things that are healthy in my life. I mean, prime example is over the past seven days, I've had something every single evening with exception of one evening. I can easily work my, my schedule in such a way where I'm constantly busy because I like being busy. I, like, I love ministry. I love things, and that's okay. But we've learned that when it comes to what we value, our value is margin, that means that we adjust the schedule to help meet the shared value. That means we talk about our schedule, and there are times that she will look at my calendar and she'll say this, hey, we need margin, and you've got this scheduled. You can't schedule anything else for which when I get a call. Pastor, can we meet? We can't meet this week, but how about next week? Why? Because of margin. We want greater intimacy. We want greater connection. We want greater time for which nothing is planned. Let me tell you this. It's okay to have a boring night. 
It's okay to have a night for which nothing is planned and you don't have to be busy. Can I tell you this? An open night doesn't mean you're lazy. And when you tell people no that you can't meet, you don't have to give an excuse for that. You can just say no. Well, why? Because no. It's so, why is that such a big deal? Because we want margin. And so if, you, if your value is date nights, fight for them. And I'll, I say this every year. Date nights are cheaper than divorce lawyers. So if you need date nights, fight for date nights. If you need boring evenings, fight for boring evenings. If you need more adventure, fight for adventure. If you need more sex, fight for sex. If you need more spiritual depth, fight for spiritual depth. You need more time with the kids, fight for those things. But when you fight, fight together. But you get that shared value. And out of that shared value, you have shared commitment. And James says, you're fighting wars that are developing from skirmishes. But imagine if we can take care of the skirmishes. Some of you are thinking that you're trying to win the war. Stop trying to win a war. Win the skirmishes. Because you, you could solve the quarrels, they solve the war. And if you get on the same page, it puts you in a place for relational success. Where we pursue each other and we name our desires so that we can both go after them. Ladies and gentlemen, let's start fighting for instead of fighting with. Well, Pastor Dave, that's marriage. What about friendships? How does, this, how does this involve every single person with friendships? Great example from this past week. I was walking out of the climbing gym, and one of the managers at the climbing gym, his name is Jay. And as, as I was walking out, I told Jay, I said, Jay, it's been like a month and a half, two months. We haven't climbed together in forever. He says, I said, when can we do this again? He goes, I know, I, I got elbow problems. And what is it about after 45? That's what we talk about now is all our aches and pains and groans and all this stuff. But and he goes, I know. He goes, I miss climbing with you. And so, so we just start talking. I'm like, yeah, I miss climbing with you. We've got to climb together. I know. So we got a shared value. And he goes, we should make a plan, shared commitment. I'm like, what, what do you think? He goes, we need the old man climb. Now, granted, like the average age at the gym is like 20. So at 47 years old, I apparently am the old, one of the old men. And so as we need the old man climb, I'm like, oh, like the old pool days where they kicked all the kids out of the pool and had the adult only swim. Y'all remember that as a kid for which no adult went swimming and all the kids had to, all the people that wanted to enjoy the pool had to sit outside the pool. Weird, weird thing. But he's like, we'll do the old man climb. So we started talking. He goes, Thursday nights, we'll get Phil, we'll get Brian, we'll get this person, we'll get this person, and we'll just do old man climb. And I walked out, I'm like, I was so satisfied of just us having this moment. And I'm thinking about my message. I'm like, this is literally what I'm preaching. We found a shared value and a shared commitment that this is what we're going to do to make this thing happen. It may sound silly, it may sound trivial, but it's not trivial when you're in a conflict moment and you're wondering, is this the thing that's going to break us? It's not trivial when you're looking at something and you feel like your marriage is falling apart because you can't get things together and you can't get on the same page. It sounds trivial until you recognize that when you have the shared value and a shared commitment, there's nothing that you can't overcome. Because the scripture says in Psalms 133, where there is unity, God commands his blessing. You want the commanded blessing of God, get in unity. You want the commanded blessing of God in your conflict, get in unity. Shared, shared value, shared commitment. Because I'm here to say this, that no relationship ever drifts into health. None. You gotta be intentional. You gotta go after it. 
Because the enemy is like a lion, the scripture says, seeking who he may devour. And some of us, we are doing the work of the enemy by devouring each other rather than recognizing we got to make the enemy the enemy and the spouse is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy and our friend is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. The government is not the enemy. One name, thank you, Jay. Awesome. We are so busy demonizing people rather than demonizing the devil and recognizing that we've got to stop doing his work for him. We've got to stop the skirmishes and the quarrels that are devouring our marriage and devouring our relationships and learning how to see it through the eyes of God and learning that we look on the inside. James says, look on the inside and deal with your heart. And as you deal with your heart, you'll actually know what to ask and what to pray about. If I can have my keyboarders come on up. I think over the past week, I wrote down over the past week a number of the relational realities that I have been dealing with. When I think about Facebook messages, emails, texts, phone calls, random moments in the climbing gym, coffee shops, I've been, contact, I've been contacted this past week and a half by people who are engaged that need to get married. I hear you do marriages. I'm like, oh, Lord of mercy, yes. Did two last Sunday. I get messages from somebody that's getting engaged. I get messages from marriages that just are going through struggles. Message from somebody who feels betrayed by a friendship. Contacted by somebody who felt hurt by their church. Contacted by pastors who are trying to make sense of their staff and their congregation. People contact me because nobody in the family is on the same page. People contact me, say, Pastor, would you pray? I've just got a long-time friendship that I don't know is going to survive. The reality is we have these relational realities hitting us. And it is my heart that K-First would be a safe place for these relational realities to come in and not be told something must be wrong because you're in conflict, but we can recognize that we have these natural tensions that happen, but what is unnatural is letting them devour us rather than going after them in the way the Lord would ask us to go after them. I, don't want, I want it to be true of K-First that we see relational success not because we decided to do it ourselves. James says it this way, you did not have because we did not ask God. And I want to be the type of church where we are bold enough to ask God about not just the big super spiritual things but the, but the practical things in life. I want the reign of the Spirit of God to come down upon our lives, but, but also alongside of that, I want people to now receive the reign and then walk in obedience to God after that and learn how to ask God for the supernatural in our relationships, that we would be the type of church community that would fight for relationships, that we don't cause casualties because of how we act or how we treat people. When people come in, they can truly find healing and virtue because when we learn how to approach God, with a humble heart. Here is the kicker. James says, you come at things in the wrong way. But the question is, what happens when we come and we actually go to God in the right way? Do you know what happens? This is cool. Is when we go to God in the right manner, he fights for us. Some of you have been fighting with your spouse, with your friends. It's time to fight for your spouse, for your marriage, for your friends. And it's time to go to God in the right heart because the reality is, is he will set up the standard against the enemy. Scripture says the enemy comes in like a flood. God can set up a standard. Scripture says the enemy forms weapons, but with God, the weapons don't prosper. Why? We have a God who fights for us. 
But if we're not knowing how to navigate conflict, we cause a bigger mess than we've ever imagined. It was 1994. And I don't know what it is about going away to college where you are mature in one aspect, but you, you take a couple steps back in other maturity. And for some reason, me and a group of guys in the dorm, we started getting into a show that I never thought I would get into because it's just that dumb. We started watching, grown adult, young men, we started watching the Power Rangers. It's embarrassing admitting this. And so at the end of one of the shows, all of a sudden, like there'd been buildup. There's a new ranger coming. There's a new ranger coming. The green ranger went away, and all of a sudden, this white ranger started lowering down, and the pink, yeah, somebody's pointing at me. They know what I'm talking about. The pink ranger, she faints. And who's, and all of a sudden, the, the, the mask starts to come off, and the show ends. Who's the white ranger? And so, I look at my watch, I'm like, I got to get to my job. I had just started working at Toys R Us, and that's a different story. And so my friend had to take me to work. I'm like, you got to get me to Toys R Us. And so we get in the car, and we're driving. It's raining, and we're driving, and we are arguing about who the White Ranger is. He's like, it's this person. I'm like, no, it's Tommy. He goes, no, it's this person. That, that, that new actor that came on, that's how they introduced him. And we're literally, we're yelling back and forth about the White Ranger. And all of a sudden, I look ahead. Traffic has stopped. We have not. And all of a sudden, he hits the brakes. He hydroplanes, hits the car in front of them. They hit the car in front of them. The car behind us hits us. We got in a four-car wreck over the White Ranger. The, lady, the, the, lady, the guy behind us, he just bought his car. <laughs> Literally just bought his car the week before. And he's like, I can't believe I did this. All about, I mean, this is how stupid and silly, but this is what you do to your marriage. We are causing wrecks of our marriage because we refuse to deal with conflict in a way that reflects Jesus. We won't recognize our fighting styles. We won't respect one another. And we want our spouse to fight the way that we spouse. Some of you, some of you, you have an aggressive spouse. I'm here to say they're probably trying to show connection to you. They're just not even, I'm not excusing it. They're, they're trying to connect, but they're doing it in a way that that's all they know how to do it. Well, pastor, they're 50, they're 60 years old. Some of them have never been healed from their past, and that's all they've known how to deal with things. But what if we had a shared value? What if you stopped your fighting and said, what is it that we're fighting about? Well, we want, we're fighting about quality time. Then, then talk about that first. Agree. There's, a, there's a, a thing. Agree. Here's what we want. Shared value. And from that, how can we share the commitment to make that happen? What would it look like if you two committed? Now you agreed on something, praise the Lord. Now you can fight together for that thing. Well, Pastor, what we're fighting about conflict. Well, if they get some help. I've got lists of Christian counselors to go talk to. And listen, I'll talk to you, but at some point I may just tell you, you're, you're a little much for me. I didn't mean that in a funny way. But I love recommending counselors to get you help. Well, pastor, we're fighting about household chores. Then get some help. What's the value? We want a clean house. Well, fight to, let's fight together in this. Well, pastor, we're fighting about sex. 
What a fun thing to fight about. The makeup after it is wonderful. Thought somebody would agree with that. Where's Kyle? I have to agree with me on that over here. But we've got to get ourselves, what is our value? And then how's the shared commitment? And when the two people, when there's unity, we get the actual commanded blessing of God. And that's all I want for you. I want that for every relationship in your life is the commanded blessing of God. I want that for every marriage. I want that for the relationship you have with your children. I want that for you and your neighbors. I want, I want people to see such a commanded blessing of God in your relationships that they can't help but look and say, what is the difference between you and every other friend? And that's when you get, begin to get to say, it's because I got reconciled to my best friend. I got reconciled because of the work of Jesus. And it's because of what he's done in me. This is why I do what I do. But if all of our relationships as Christians looks just like the relationships in the world, then why would people need to change to begin with? we got to fight for instead of fighting with. So this morning, I just want to just have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask for something bold in the house today. This is, this is bold. But maybe you're in the house and you're just in a place where you're just in the middle of a Maybe some tension, some conflict. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's outside of your home. It could be within some friendships that you've got. Maybe some long-time friendships that are just breaking apart because of some fracture. Or maybe today that you've got, maybe you've got kids that are going through this. Some relational fractures that are going on. And you just want to have prayer over them. If you're in a place where you're in relational fracture or maybe you're in connection to somebody that is and they just need a miracle, maybe you need a miracle. Maybe your marriage needs a miracle. I'm here to say K-First is, is a safe space. We're not here to find out your biz. We're here to pray over your lives. And if you're in a place of maybe some stress, some strain, some tension, and you just need a word of prayer, here's the bold part. Would you stand right where you're at? It could be a relational thing. It could be marriage. It could be friendships. You could be standing in behalf of maybe your, um, maybe your adult kids. Maybe you're standing on behalf of, of a friend that is just very close to your heart that is just going through the ringer right now. It's okay. This is a safe spot to stand. It's a safe place. The Spirit of God is just so rich in here. And I'm here to say that you're not alone. I mean, if you're standing, look around. You're not the only one standing in the house today. You're not the only one. I've seen God do some amazing things. I've seen God restore marriages that have signed papers. I've seen God work through forgiveness in lives that I thought was irreparable. I've seen friendships that thought that years and past we're just thrown away because of decisions. I've seen God bring restoration. But today we're believing for miracles in the house today. So let's do this. Congregation, if you see someone standing around you, would you just very gently, maybe a few of you stand up and just put a hand on someone's shoulder? Could we just pray over these individuals? Again, okay, first, we're, we're safe spot. And we're going to pray. And if you stood, stay where you're standing. I know it's easy to go pray for somebody else and just ignore your situation. But just with just a hand on a shoulder, just very light. We're just going to speak life in Jesus' name. 
Come on, let them hear you pray right where you're at. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we speak life. We speak life. We speak hope in Jesus' name. There's the word. We speak hope. We speak eyes to see what could not be seen before. Jesus, he told us, Lord, when we see wars and rumors of wars, basically when we see calamity happening around us, to lift up our eyes. That word lift up our eyes, it is a, it, it's, a, it's an idiom for put your hope. Don't put your hope in the calamity. Lift up your eyes. Look to your hope. And so, Jesus, we look to you right now, and we place our hope in you. And in this moment, Lord, what we don't pray is we don't pray selfishly. Change everybody else. But, Lord, we say change us. Change hearts. Remove callousness. Your scripture says you could take a callous heart and replace it with a heart of flesh. And we say, Lord, redeem those hearts. Redeem minds, oh Lord Jesus. Redeem what the enemy has fractured with relational wrecking balls. Lord, redeem pasts and redeem what the future can be and what it can look like. Lord, I speak right now over people, Lord, that have just completely cashed in all of their hope, Lord. I pray that in this moment, Lord, where they feel, so, they feel so weary, they're so tired of fighting. Your scripture says, they that wait on the Lord, he shall renew their strength. And I pray in this moment of waiting on you, renew strength in Jesus' name. Renew life. I pray that this morning, God, that there be recognition. These are the shared values that we're going to fight after. We're going to stop fighting with, and we're going to start fighting for the quality time. We're going to start fighting for forgiveness. We're going to start fighting for unity. We're going to start fighting for relational roles. We're going to start fighting for healthy sexuality. We're going to start fighting for what our in-law relationship had been before. We're going to start fighting for the right things. We're going to fight for the relationship with our kids again. We're going to fight for strong relationships and friendships in my life again. We have hope because we have Jesus. And Lord, from that, I pray for shared commitment. Specifically over marriages today, God. That we would stop being so stinking defensive. We would stop with the low blows. Stop with the lightning legs of just running and avoiding. We would stop laying down and just appeasing the moment to get past the tension. But Lord, we would share the load together and simply say, as for us and our house, we are going to serve the Lord and fight for what He wants for our marriage. So we say to you, the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to one that is the only God, in their lives, in their hearts, in their relationships, be all the honor all, and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, can we give God a hand clap of praise? Could everybody stand in the house today?